0: Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 24. Today might be the day I die. Carter Jones. One week later. Beep. 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 The steady pace of the heart monitor was the only cryptic sound that filled the room. Monroe sat silently, head bowed, forehead resting on his steeple fingers as he prayed for a miracle. Gangsters weren't at the top of the blessing list. I mean, they got their own reserve room in heaven, though, so I don't fucking know. The lifestyle they led made them undeserving of one. But Monroe prayed all the same. Shit was in disarray. Everyone was on edge. Me and Moore had sparked a flame that was about to burn their entire empire down. Monroe had goons at Carter's door 24 hours a day. Even when visiting hours ended, a skilled gun waited in the lobby for the clock to spin until they began again. Carter was too vulnerable to go unprotected. With a bullet to the chest, he was lucky to even be alive. He hadn't opened his eyes yet, but after days of being on a ventilator, he was finally breathing on his own. That was one step in the right direction. The Grim Reaper was at Carter's door, and there was nothing that anyone could do to save him. Carter had to fight it. Just open your eyes, bro, Monroe stated. The weight of the world seemed to fall on Monroe's shoulders. Carter's wishes were to send Zaire away, and although Zaire had fought it, Monroe had sent him away. Baraka had been silent, but Monroe knew the enemies unseen were the worst kind. He needed Breeze safe. He didn't want her in the middle of another war, and although they needed the manpower, Zaire had to leave. Zaire was the only person on earth that Monroe was sure loved Breeze fully. Zaire would die before he let anything happen to Breeze. It had been imperative that they leave. Monroe had wanted to leave the cartel for so long. He had wanted to fill his father's shoes, to be the boss, but now that Carter's life hung in the balance, it no longer mattered. They were blood brothers, the only two men left to carry on their father's legacy. There was a time when their bond hadn't been so strong, but now they were each other's keeper. If Carter's death is what it took for Monroe to step into his father's shoes, then he no longer wanted to. It was family over everything, including ambition. Monroe's phone rang, and he knew exactly who it was before he answered. Mia Moore. She had been calling on the hour for a week to see if Carter had awakened. She, too, had been sent away. Monroe sent her to Aries' place in Idaho. No one, including Baraka, would look for her there. The last thing he needed was for her to die on his watch. Until Carter awakened, me and Moore would remain in hiding. No matter how gangster she thought she was, Monroe could see the fear in her eyes. She had crossed a dangerous line, and until Carter woke up, it was Monroe's job to keep her safe. Money, how is he? She asked without saying hello. He's the same. Not good. Not bad. There's no change in his status, Moreau informed. I need to see him, she whispered. He could hear her strife in her tone. I need to see my son. Maybe if I just come, if he knows I'm there. It's not safe, anymore. Everyone is ducked off somewhere. CJ is safe with Lena and my son. She'll keep them safe. They have protection. Baraka's gonna come for you, and when he does, CJ can't be anywhere near you. I know. I know, Miamor whispered with regret. I was upset with Carter, but I didn't do this, money. I never meant for any of this to happen. I was so mad. I wasn't thinking straight. I know, Miamor. Look, I'll keep you posted. I gotta go. Try to rest, and don't get restless. Just stay put, he instructed. <clears throat> The sound of Carter's groggy moans were music to Monroe's ears. He looked left to see his brother opening his eyes, slowly, as if his lids were weighted down. Monroe raced to the bedside. Wake up, bro. Come back to this side, my G. Monroe coerced as he leaned over him, anxiously. Carter woke up, struggling, fear filled as he attempted to rise. Nah, man, you can't, Carter. You gotta relax. You been shot. Carter lay back, exhausted, weak, and in extreme pain. Monroe rushed out into the hall and grabbed the first doctor that he saw. He's awake. He's finally awake, he said. The woman rushed in behind Monroe and immediately went to Carter's aid. Welcome back, Mr. Jones, she said, speaking calmly. So because it's a woman doctor, it's the woman rushed in, not the doctor rushed in. Like, you can't just say, you know, the doctor. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking that. Probably. Who cares? "'What happened?' he asked. "'You were shot. A bullet pierced through your lung, and you lost a lot of blood. "'I would say that you're lucky, but you had a pretty skilled surgeon on your side,' the doctor said with a wink. "'She had skin the color of coffee beans, and her hair was cut short. "'With majestically dark eyes and a smile as white as pearls, Carter felt as if he was staring into the eyes of an angel. "'She was beautiful, not only because she had saved him, but because she was uniquely crafted. "'God broke the mold when he made her.' So let me make sure I got this straight. Money goes out into the hallway, grabs a random doctor. It just happens to be the surgeon who saved his life. Like, do you know how hard it is to get your hands on a surgeon after they performed your surgery? Do you know that surgeons have surgery scheduled back to back to back? So to actually get the surgeon in there. Days after he's been in a coma. Like this isn't a few hours after the surgery was over. Me and Moore have been calling every day for a week, every hour on the hour for a week, my nigga. Like, the surgeon isn't just walking back and forth in front of his door like when he wakes up. I get to come in there and say, you had a pretty good surgeon. I worked on that line. That's not how this works. I know this. The surgeons who saved my son's life, we never got to talk to one of them. We talked to the other one before the surgery. We never really got to talk to him afterwards. One of them, we never saw at all. One just flew in, did the surgery, and then dipped. The other one did the surgery and then talked to us for like the first couple hours after the surgery were over when our son was sedated. But we didn't talk to him for the week after that that kid Austin was still in the hospital. I don't think he came in to really check the sutures and whatnot. Maybe he did. The further it goes in my life, it's not like it's a blur. I remember every horrifying moment of it. I remember the tears and the fear and and everything. But I remember the cardiologist coming in more than I remember the surgeon coming in. And it was just like the morning check-in, the morning meeting but he wasn't just outside the, the, the room just randomly walking by and I just happened to grab a doctor and it just so happened to be the surgeon who performed the surgery. That's far-fetched. That I do know. I believe you, he said in a low tone. Can you work that same magic and take some of this pain away? Give me some of that cortisone shit, doc. Please? He grimaced as he spoke and the way he slurred his words made it obvious that he still wasn't clear-headed. We had you on a mild sedative to allow your body to heal without much effort. I'll run something stronger through the IV and be back to check on you in a few hours. The most important thing for you to do is to rest up. You have a good team of doctors. We'll make sure that you have a full recovery, she assured. Monroe spoke. God damn it! God damn it! That won't be necessary. All I need is discharge papers immediately. He'll heal at home. I'll hire the best doctors. You if I have to. The fuck is up with this family? (laughs) Golly. (sighs) (laughs) The authors of this book clearly do not trust doctors and hospitals. Like they got some sort of deep-seated drama or trauma or both. The woman shook her head and frowned in confusion. I cannot issue discharge papers for him. He's in the best care here. Anything can happen. He's in ICU. Once his healing progresses, that may be an option, but for now, he's not going anywhere, she responded. Monroe nodded and waited until she left the room before turning to Carter. I've got the entire floor guarded. There are two at the door and one in the lobby. Nobody's getting at you, bro. You're safe. Zaire and Breezer are back in Flint. Lynn and the kids are safe. Mia Moore? Carter asked. She's safe. Off the grid. Nigga, I know you got Fly Boogie in there somewhere. Watching this nigga's back, like... She's safe. Off the grid. Baraka will never find her as long as she stays put, Monroe said. She's hard-headed than a motherfucker, though, bro. You got your hands full with that one. Carter couldn't help but give a lazy chuckle. He grimaced as the laughter sent pain quaking through his entire body. Tell me about it, he replied. Monroe picked up his cell. I'll call her. She'll be glad to hear that you're awake, Monroe said. He attempted to dial, then frowned when the call failed. No service, he said. He went to the landline and picked up the hospital phone. Damn, this motherfucker dead too. A knock at the door interrupted them as Fly Boogie slowly entered. Come in, little nigga. You look like you seen a ghost, Monroe stated. Carter spoke up. Go make that call, G. Tell her to stay puttin' that I love her. Fly can hold it down till you get back. Pless there's two the door. I'm good. Fly Boogie eased into the room as Monroe made his exit. Glad to see you up, big homie, Fly Boogie stated as he stood at the foot of the bed, staring down at Carter. His heart beat rapidly. He felt see-through, as if Carter could sense the snake in him. He knew better, however. He had been careful. He had covered his tracks. No one, not even Mia Moore, knew that he was a trigger man behind the gun. His only regret was that he had been unable to get a headshot. One between the eyes would have ensured Mia Moore's widow status and had given Fly Boogie nothing but opportunity to move in on her. He would become her shoulder to cry on, and once her mourning was over, he would eventually become her man. He wanted to be Carter. He wanted to stand in his shoes. Little did he know, they were too big to fill. So, you don't think that when he died and you just pop up and you're like, yo, I, 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 I'm just here, I heard that he got shot with a sniper rifle, like you wouldn't fuck it up somehow? It don't matter. It don't matter. Somehow Carter's about to intuit this shit immediately. So, Glad to be seen, my G, Carter responded. I want to talk to you. About what? Fly asked nervously. Have a seat next to me. I just woke up. I'm weak. Even speaking too loudly hurts, Carter stated. Fly Boogie slowly walked to the chair next to the bed and sat. Zaire's taking a little vacation and shit's about to get real. I'ma need someone to take a spot. Someone I can trust. Monroe and I can't hold shit down by ourselves. While we're away, you held my family down. You are loyal to me and more and to the cartel. I want to pull you closer. Put some money in your pocket. Show you the game. I'm good. I'm eating, Flyboogie said. Carter smirked. That's mediocre money. You're hood rich. You're on the distribution side of the game, Fly. I'm talking corporate. Private jets. Hundreds of kilos. All that. We ain't on no corner shit. I'm asking you to stand beside me. Not behind me, Carter explained. But there's a war to get through first. Lines have been crossed and if we're going to come out on top, I need killers around me. Loyal niggas that I can trust. Can I trust you, little homie? Monroe stepped out of the elevator and walked across the marble hospital floor, his red-bottomed designer shoes hitting hard against the tile. Fuck is up with the service in this bitch, he mumbled to himself as he tried to get his phone to work. He stopped over at the reception desk. Is there a phone I can use, he asked. The nurse shook her head and replied, The phone lines are down in the entire hospital. He nodded and turned away. Of course they are. He mumbled sarcastically. How hard is it to find a working phone? I mean, also, your phone isn't connected to the hospital's phone lines. So, unless they got a signal jammer up in there all of a sudden, because you were just talking to Mia Moore, who had just called in, this don't sit right. And if they do got a signal jammer that just came in all of a sudden, then you need to be looking out for enemies. It was important for him to get word out that Carter was now awake. It would keep Mia and more in place and stop her from doing anything drastic. He stepped outside the hospital doors and held his phone up trying to catch reception. When his eyes caught sight of the red beam that was traveling through the air and aimed at his chest, he panicked. Oh shit, he said as he backpedaled, rushing back inside the glass doors of the hospital. He looked outside and his eyes widened in shock. Five SUVs sat in front of the entrance. The windows were blacked out, but when one of them rolled down, he recognized them instantly. They were Arab, Baraka's men, and they had the entire entrance covered. Fuck, he uttered. He rushed to the back entrance and opened the door slightly to find that another caravan of trucks waited there as well. They were surrounded, and although he was strapped and he had guards at Carter's door, they were outnumbered. He rushed back to Carter's room. They had to get out of there one way or the other. Can I trust you, Carter asked again. Of course, yeah, fam, I got you, Fly Boogie replied. Carter held up his hand, and Fly Boogie gave him a gangster shake. But when Carter looked at his wrist, he frowned. Carter tightened his grip, using all of his strength as he pulled Fly Boogie near in hostility. The fuck is this? Fly Boogie's eyes went to the tattoo that adorned his wrist. Mia Moore. It read. He had completely forgotten that it was visible. He snatched his arm back, shaking loose from Carter's vice grip as he stuttered. That's nothing, big. Before he could get the explanation out of his mouth, Monroe rushed in. We got a problem. The whole fucking hospital is surrounded by Baraka's men. They got this bitch locked down. I stepped one foot outside and almost got my fucking head blown off. Fly, you strapped? Grateful for the interruption, Fly Boogie averted Carter's deadly stare and lifted his shirt, exposing his pistol. Always, my nigga, he replied. Carter saw red. He wanted to body Fly Boogie, but he kept his cool and placed an issue at the back of his mind. Right now, they had bigger fish to fry. We got to get you out of here, Monroe said, directing his attention to Carter. I couldn't get word to Mia Moore. My phone ain't working. Neither are the hospital lines. Hand me your phone, he said to Fly Boogie. Fly immediately tense because if Monroe went through his phone, he would find dirt on him. Flyboy had all types of pictures of Mia Moore on his phone, pictures that he had taken of her when nobody was even paying attention. Her number was also on his call log too frequently. But if he refused, he would arouse further suspicion. He could feel Carter eyeing him. The spotlight was on him. He pulled out his phone and looked at it, quickly switching his screensaver from Mia Moore's face to default. He erased her contact information as well. The fuck, little nigger, hurry up! Monroe said impatiently. Fly passed it to Monroe, apprehensively. Monroe slid the bar across the screen, but before he could dial even one number, he saw that the bars were low. Your signal's blocked too. It's Baraka, Carter informed matter-of-factly. Every phone in this building is probably useless. That's the oldest trick in the book. I'll go out and see if I can find a working line, Fly Boogie stated. Just as he was about to slide out of the room, Carter stopped him. We gonna finish that conversation, he stated, his bark fierce, territorial. Fly Boogie didn't respond, but his eyes widened in reaction. He slipped out of the room and Monroe turned to Carter. We're sitting ducks in this bitch, Monroe stated. One way or another, Barack is coming through them doors. Me and Moore put Yasmin in the dirt. I love her, bro. She's my rib. She sinned. Somebody has to pay for that. It won't be her, though. It won't be my son either. It doesn't have to be you either, money. You should have left with Zaire. This is my debt. I'll pay it on behalf of me and more. Get out of here, money. Today just might be the day I die. Monroe pulled up a chair and sat beside his brother's bed. He pulled the gun from his waist and put it in his lap, then pulled the gun from his ankle and passed to Carter. We're brothers. We live through this together, or we go out in a blaze of glory together. Either way... I ain't running. He held out his hand, and Carter gripped it while grimacing. That's real shit. I love you, bro, Carter said. I love you too, man, Monroe replied. Silence filled the room as they waited for the storm that was waiting outside the hospital doors. There was no resolution. Death was about to rain down upon them, and all they could do was embrace it. I don't even know why we're here, Mia. Monroe told you to stay hidden. The Arabs are serious. This isn't a hood war. This shit is international. They will. Me and Moore cut Ares off. I don't care, Ares. We've gone up against plenty of motherfuckers. Baraka and his turbans don't scare me. Not enough to stay away from Carter. He's shot. He needs me, she argued as Ares pulled into the parking lot of the hospital. As soon as she pulled up, she noticed the caravan posted at the entrance. She ducked down in her seat. As they drove by, she watched the security guard approach one of the attentive vehicles. The windows of one of the SUVs rolled down slightly, and Miamor watched in horror as a silenced bullet slumped the security guard. Two men climbed out the back seat and picked up the body, stuffing it into the back of the truck without anyone even noticing. Miamor and, and Ares were the only witnesses. It's him. Barack is here, Miamor whispered. I won't die for Carter, Miamor. I have a child. You have a child, Ares replied. Then let's make sure we live to see another day, Mi'amore replied sadly. Ares drove past the parking lot and back onto the street as their taillights disappeared into the night. Moore couldn't go up against a force so deadly without a plan. She would have to think first if she wanted to survive. She only prayed that Baraka didn't get to Carter in the meantime. So much she wanted to be by his side, there will be no getting to his room tonight. Baraka knew her face, and the army of Arabs waiting beyond the hospital doors were too dangerous to fight off alone. Anyone going up against them would lose. What the hell have I done, she thought. Fly Boogie rushed into his apartment in a frenzy, but halted as soon as he smelled the pungent aroma of weed wafting from his living room. He came off his hip with his pistol, and silently followed the path where the smoke was leading him. Put that shit down, little nigga, before I lay you out in this motherfucker. The fuck? Murder sat comfortably in Fly Boogie's lazy boy chair while smoking a blunt with one hand and holding a pistol in Fly's direction with the other. You're a hard one to keep up with, Fly. I hired you five years ago to get in with the cartel. Paid you good money too, my nigga. Twenty grand. To infiltrate and murk that nigga Carter. Imagine my surprise when I found out you skipped town. You just disappeared out of Miami. Miami. In fact, the entire fucking cartel disappeared from Miami and came here. The only reason I even knew where to find you was because the news reported Carter Jones' shooting outside of a popular Vegas casino. You serious? You serious right now? So, this... I'm just... Wait. So at the end of book three, when Mecca had just been murdered in the church after Breeze and Zaire's wedding, when money was still in a coma and when murder was flying out to the Bahamas to kill Carter. No word of fly boogie was mentioned at all in that book. We don't know what happened in the time between when Murder went to the Bahamas and he came back. We don't know what happened to any of that dead period for any of these motherfuckers. But at some point. Money woke up and Fly Boogie was installed not under Carter, but under Zaire. Fly Boogie was a kid from the South with a draw who worked under Zaire. And we thought was Zaire's homie because when. Zaire was trying to get away so then he could get to the plane so they could fly away at the end of book four. Fly Boogie was the one who was driving the car. Fly Boogie was the one who took the cops on a ride without knowing what was going to happen next. At no point did Fly Boogie have any connection to Carter in the fourth book. As far as we knew, Again, it was him and Zaire, and he was just a a lookout. He wasn't even a D-boy. He was a lookout. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't line up well. It doesn't. And so I'm hoping in the next few sentences, they're going to line it up well. Because while they want this to be a shock, it can only be a shock if it works. Otherwise, it is just ridiculous. And I don't want to deal with ridiculous right now. It ain't like that murder. I was just putting in work. It took time to get close. I was gonna reach out. I finally hit the nigga Carter, but he didn't die. Nigga down bad though. He in ICU and everything. I slipped in to finish the job tonight, but some shit popped off. I had to sneak out of that bitch in hospital scrubs like I'm a nurse or some shit. Money was there and... You keep insulting my intelligence and I'm going to pop your melon, Murder said. Silence and Fly Boogie. Fly Boogie thought about shooting first, but Murder read his mind. By the time you get your aim right, I have one off already. I'm the better shot. Believe that, young. It was true. Murder had hired Fly. Just like Fly Boogie, Murder had a thing for me and more. They both had a common goal to get Carter out of the way. At first, Fly Boogie was all about business. He had worked his way in. Mia Moore trusted him. Carter trusted him. Zaira vouched for him. Monroe never doubted him. By the time he got down fully with the cartel, he was making way more than the measly 20 grand that murder had paid. So he moved west and said, fuck, murder's hit. But by the time Carter got out of jail, Fly Boogie had become completely smitten with Mia Moore. He wanted her for himself, and he was determined to knock Carter off so he could get close to her. Murder's re-emergence was another problem that he would have to solve. Now, not only was Carter in the way, so was Murder. I could still finish the job, Fly Boogie said. Thing is, why? Why would you shoot Carter five years later, Murder asked rhetorically. He snapped his finger as if a bright idea had just hit him. Unless you're in it for self. I recognize that look in your eye, homeboy. That's a murder mama spell, little nigga. You fell in love with my bitch. That's why you cut me out. Once Carter was dead, you was going to move in on her yourself. Nah, it ain't like that, Fly Boogie lied. It's exactly like that, Murder answered. He hit his blunt and chuckled as the smoke blew from his lips. That's a bad bitch. She does something to a nigga, he said. She almost killed me and I'm still running back to that pussy. She like a drug. Now what? You going to kill me? Fly Boogie asked. Might as well quit playing games and get this shit over with. He was fearless. He had heart. Despite the treachery, Murder still liked him. Nah, you gonna finish what you started. Murder Carter. Then I'm gonna get my bitch back. You gonna shake this schoolboy crush you got going and we gonna take over the cartel and the casino, Murder said. From what I understand, it all belongs to me and Moore now anyway. It's her kingdom now. And once I get her from under that nigga Carter, she'll come back to daddy. I'm her beginning. I taught her everything she knows. I'm home. A bitch always come back home. To be continued. So, again, and I really hate this. I always hate this. The fact that they are implying that women and dogs are similar. When they use bitch in this context, they are clearly stating that dogs always come home. Also, you didn't teach her anything, nigga. You taught her where to get guns at and where to dispose of guns. She did all the murdering on her own. And she tried to kill you. If there's not a sign that you need to let it go, that's it. Once somebody tries to stab you in the neck, let it go, my nigga. Like, shoot this nigga for having me and Moore's tattoo on his wrist and let it go. None of this shit makes any sense. This ending doesn't make any sense. I don't like it. You're telling me that this nigga dressed up like a nurse and snuck out while these fucking uh, men outside in these SUVs are fucking capping security guards and just dragging them into the trunk. You're telling me this nigga somehow got out. A skinny-ass black teenager dressed in scrubs somehow got away from a hospital where there are people surrounding the building. Okay. Okay. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Podchaser. Copy and paste that in the Apple Podcast. Copy and paste that into Good Pods. Thank you to everybody who's checking this out on Good Pods and on Podchaser. I appreciate them both. Apple, y'all are cool. You can leave a donation at um, patreon.com slash simulcast. Or at buymeacoffee.com slash SSCast. Or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip. Thank you to everybody who's listening through this bullshit. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace.